Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults, by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. Good to see you here tonight. Welcome to Praxis. My name is Philip. I'm the pastor here at the University Church for Young Adults. And I am so thrilled that you got to see that video one more time, man. There are some incredibly talented, gifted young adults that have committed to just spending some time with the rest of you in, in their gifts, their passions, and also just forging community together. And so I really hope that you would sign up to get one of these groups, you guys. We got this going. Okay, there we go. There we go. Fixing me up here. All right. Thank you, man. But uh, would you pray with me tonight before we start? Jesus, thank you so much for being such a good God, loving and compassionate to us. Jesus, we are in need of direction in this life. Father, there are so many things that would keep us from understanding your will. But Lord, we don't want one of those things to be our own neglect of understanding more deeply your word. And so tonight, God, we pray for clarity, we pray for understanding, and we also pray, Father, that the distractions of our life would side, move to the side for one moment, that we would hear more clearly your voice. Holy Spirit, be with us now. Speak in spite of me. In your name we pray, amen. This series that we're marching into right now at the very beginning of the school year is an interesting one that someone might say, why would you start with this, man? Like, out of all the things you could start with, why this one? I think that it is so important for us to start with this series because it's a really important space to begin your life foundation with this year. Faithful, a guide to living in a post-Christian world. If you were here last week, you saw on the screen that one of the markers of this generation is that it is the first generation to be raised in a post-Christian context. This is one of the moments in our earth's history in which, unfortunately, for one reason or another, there has just been this growing dissatisfaction both with religion, with church, with its leaders, with anything really having to do with faith. But there's also been this rise of a discontentment with life. And so people are trying to find other ways to find meaning and find purpose. And they'll do it in any other way besides really aligning themselves with a kingdom call to community and church. Now, for us who are pastors and leaders, man, we are really frustrated. We're disappointed. We're wondering, like, what's going on? But there is something that we have to understand as a community and a culture. Though we are being kind of shaped in this post-Christian context, we also have to ask ourselves, is that good for us? Is that good for you and me to be shaped in this society? Does that mean then for you and I that we're going to side with that post-Christian mindset? Now, I would tell you that we're going to learn some things about culture and shaping culture during this series for the next five weeks, but we're also going to learn what it means to be a Christian in the midst of a culture that doesn't really have a guide, and that doesn't have a Christian guide. It's interesting, if I were to give you a puzzle, if I were to give you a huge puzzle, and I said, 
I need five people to find all the pieces you can and then arrange the puzzle within the next hour. You think that people could probably do it? I'd say it was like a thousand pieces. No, yes. What if I made it a little bit harder? What if I took away the map or the picture of what they were actually building the puzzle? Would that make it any easier? Right now, we're living in a Christian context in which many of us who are young adults and are Christians are not really sure what is the guide or the picture to help us navigate the new terrain that we find ourselves in. Many of us who are kind of in this worldview, this perspective that there is a God, He exists, He has a plan for my life, but yet I'm not sure how to live in the modern world with these Christian ideals, with a culture that doesn't really like those. And so we're faced with a unique story, Daniel. The first six chapters of this book that most of us know as being a book of prophecy It's actually a bunch of stories. The first six chapters are all about Daniel and his friends and how they navigate being thrown into a completely different culture. In many ways, it was far beyond a Judeo-Christian worldview. What was it like? Well, first we have to kind of take a step back and ask ourselves, how in the world did Daniel and his friends get thrown into a world that was so different from what they grew up in? Some of you have moved here from out of Southern California. And you walk into this place and you're like, whoa, this is pretty different. This is very different. If you've ever driven through the South, man, they have boiled peanuts there. You can get ranch flavor, barbecue flavor. You come out to Southern California, we don't have boiled peanuts, but we do have boba. (laughs) You go to different parts of the country and there's just different things. And all of a sudden you're thrown into a culture, though, going beyond the jokes of a different world. Many would say that Southern California really is the culture-making part of the world. It is the epicenter of defining what culture looks like to the entire world. This is the epicenter of many ways, pop culture, movies, artistry, just so many things, music, I mean, fashion, sports, like so much happens that comes out of this place. So let's now take a step back. Might we be able to relate to Daniel and his friends? Well, what happened to Daniel and his friends? So the context of their world is like this. They're in the Middle East. They're in a region that God kind of had planted them in. The promised land. They'd gone out of exile from, from Egypt and they found themselves in the promised land, grateful to be there. Finally, they have their own freedom. And their whole region gets occupied by another kingdom, Babylon. These Babylonian rulers were a ruthless bunch. They really liked loyalty. But the problem is, for some reason, Judah, the people of God, really started to build an affinity back with Egypt where they were enslaved. They started to really like the Egyptian way, and they started to build allies with the Egyptians. Pharaoh was really grateful because he wanted to take over that region. Nebuchadnezzar, who was the king of Babylon, hearing that they wanted to side with the Egyptians, is like, "Uh uh-uh, no, that's not happening. He sends an entire battalion to Jerusalem 
burns it to the ground, takes captives back to his homeland. It was a very sad reality for Daniel and his buddies. But that's where we start the context, and this is where our story begins. Now in Daniel chapter 1. And now I want you to listen with your trained eyes to kind of how this might help us understand to be a guide in a post-Christian world. We're going to stop sporadically throughout this text. text. So take a look here now with me in verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year in the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I gave you a little bit of the understanding there. Why? And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hands and some of the articles of the temple of God. Those he carried off in the temple in his God in Babylonia and put them in the treasure house of his God. Could you imagine Daniel and his friends' parents seeing their kids being taken off? But now, could you imagine seeing the priests, seeing all the articles of gold, many not realizing in our context that this was the most exquisite gold ever found in that known world. The articles of the temple that they had been building for centuries was now being taken over. Imagine now here some invaders come to Loma Linda University Church and they start taking our TVs. They start taking our flat screens. You're like, what is happening? Same thing that's happening, you know, on Melrose Avenue and all these, like, districts. People just taking stuff. That's what was happening. Literally everything was taken of their temple. Then it keeps going. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Listen to the description of these people. Young men without any physical defect, Handsome, that's nice. Showing aptitude of every kind of learning. Well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. What he was looking for were people who were prepared to do some serious work in his country. He wanted individuals who would land in Babylon and would be ready immediately to learn and understand. They were the ones who were prepared to be the intellectuals of that society. I think I'm really talking to the intellectuals of, honestly, the world here. Many of you are in some of the most prestigious programs that people would die to be in, man. I'm telling you, if you're a nurse, don't ever discredit yourself. You're more intelligent than literally 95% of the world who doesn't have much of the degrees or understanding of the world that you do. Some of you in OT and physical therapy and medicine and science and research. Those of you who are working professionals here that are working in other aspects of this world. You are the intellectuals of our world. Daniel and his friends were the intellectuals of their society. Similarly, I believe that's who you are. Not only that, but you are also brilliant in your understanding of the kingdom of God. You're individuals who are marked by a knowledge both of this world but also the kingdom of God. And that is exactly who these people were. Now listen to what though the king of Babylon wanted to do to them. He wanted to teach them the language, the literature, the way of life of 
Babylon. If you assume with me for a moment two things. Assume that Southern California doesn't want to shape you. Okay? And that's a strange idea. What do you mean it doesn't want to shape you? Let's say Southern California and its world didn't want to shape you, didn't want to make you anything like it. And secondly, assume with me that our church didn't want to shape you in any way. This religious context doesn't want to shape you at all. Then you would be really a free agent in any way to pick what you want to look like. Now, the thing is, though, both of these worlds are vying for your attention. Which one is doing a better job right now? I would say in many ways the church has failed young adults in this world today. They've failed to not only garner their attention, but they've also failed to show them that there is a significance to the ways of the kingdom of God that are so important that shape us to become the best version of ourselves. Hollywood, the music world, the fashion world, man, it has done a phenomenal job. They've got some of the best marketers out there. They've got some of the best shows. They've got the best technology. They have the best of the best. And they are trying to teach you their ways. I would ask you a question now as before we go any further. Who has more of your attention? Who has more of your understanding? Who has more influenced you? at this moment right now in your life? Would you say it's been the kingdom of God or has it been the culture that you're around? Because the thing is, the assumptions I made are untrue. It isn't that either one doesn't want to shape you. No, rather they want to deeply shape you. Why? For the Christian pastor, man, we believe that eternity is at stake for young adults today. We believe that God has the best vision for how you are to live your life in such a way that if you align with his best, you actually will be able to navigate this life in such a way that you now become a shaping influence around you. Likewise, the culture of this world, for better or for worse, I won't say that all of it is evil. No, by no means. There's actually incredible things about it. But it too wants to shape you. And for a few reasons, I'll tell you why. Number one, there's a lot of money to be made on your backs. We can't forget that everything is driven by the economy. And if you think that you're just a person who's just kind of floating out there, that no one wants your attention, oh man, you're way more important than you think. Because you see that every single young adult, if marketers can capture young adults, right now they are the largest buying power in the United States. You think that it's adults? No, no, no. That are older than, than 50? No, no, no. Just because you can't buy a house today doesn't mean you don't have money to spend. And they know that. We are the largest population in the United States right now. If they can capture your attention to vie for its fashions, its music, its culture, its movies, its entertainment, its way of thinking, its everything, they will have won. Well then, pastor, what do you want me to do? You want me to like not wear clothes, not wear music, not listen to music, not have my iPods? Like what, what, do, you, what do you want me to do then? Have you ever heard that passage where Jesus looked at his disciples and he tells them, listen, I want I'm going to send my disciples into the world, but I do not want them to be of the world. 
There's a difference to being both a citizen of the United States or a citizen of this culture and community and the other being one who's not only a citizen of it, but loves it, indulges in it fully and foremost as being its primary allegiance. Tonight's first chapter hits us right in the face with asking us this deep question, whose allegiance am I on? The people of Judah allied, them, allied themselves with the Egyptians. Man, they got wiped out. And now then these young men who were part of the nobility, the kingdom, these probably ruling powers that were there in Judah that were making the decision to listen to Judah, it sounds like it would be way better to be with the Egyptians than the Babylonians. So what are you going to do now when your thinking was way off? I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. And so now you and I have to ask ourselves, what does it look like to have an allegiance to God, but live in a culture that doesn't want to align with it, that is post-Christian. And so now we begin to see what these guys are faced with making some decisions to do. What do they do? They're in a culture that they can either be shaped by or they can shape themselves. Take a look now what happens here in verse 6. Among those who were chosen, some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, the chief official, gave them new names. That is so significant to understand now what's about to happen. Because each of these guys' names in the Judean world had a significance to the God of Israel. Daniel, literally an ideology of understanding, his very name itself means committed and dedicated to God. But now the names that they were given were Belteshazzar. Hananiah, Shadrach, these names, Meshach, Azariah, Abednego, they're like, who are these names? What are these names even about? They were idolatrous names. You see, they were given names now that sided with the gods of that culture. Whoa, wait a minute. Now you're playing with their identity in this culture. Now you're trying to shape who they literally believe that they are. What are they doing? Oh, but now look what happens though. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself. You see, even though they're trying to shape them, Daniel and his buddies said, you might change my name, but you will never change the identity of who I know that I am. Every single one of you has come to this point in your life and you have to make a decision, a very important decision. Whose side are you on in the bigger cosmic battle of your allegiance? Many times some people look at us and they say, man, these kids, they're so great. Look at them, incredible intelligent students on our campus, amazing working professionals in our community. They are wonderful and I would agree 
But to think that Christian young adults are not under attack for your allegiance is a misnomer and a lie. Because just because you say you are a believer doesn't mean that you really are. And it also doesn't mean that you've actually made a decision to be one. What do I mean by that? Most young adults grow up in a potentially, those of you who, are gro- who grew up in a Christian home, you grew up with parents that had a certain set of beliefs. They had a certain set of ways of understanding the world based on a Christian worldview. You're raised in that home, you're taught what to believe, you're taken then to practice certain rituals. Son, you have to go to church on, on the weekend with us, you have to go to youth group with us, you know, you have to do all these set of things. And in young adulthood, this is such an imperative time for each one of you to make a decision now. Because it's no longer your parents' faith that you're living off of. This is your time to make a decision. Do you really want to believe what they did? What they thought? What they spoke about? Because the truth is, some of us need to throw off some of the things our parents did. We really do. Some of us didn't have parents that were actually converted believers. Some of you are like, whoa, bro, you're throwing shots now. But the truth is, if you study anyone who studies religion, let's say talking about sociologists who study religion and the transference of faith, many would say the reason why we have more nuns, those who don't adhere to any religious belief today as young adults, is because their parents weren't really believers. Because Young adults are the greatest copycats of what they saw modeled in their home. Because if most parents didn't actually believe, didn't actually practice anything, then they become like those behind them. Many grew up as creasters. What's a creaster? You've never heard of those. Those are people who go to church on Christmas and Easter. Many times our church gets packed. We have to build another service during Christmas time and Easter. And it's those seasons where, man, as pastors and leaders, we're like so excited. Man, they're coming back. They're going to be at church. And you hope they stay the next weekend. And it's like, nope. 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 So you have to ask yourself now, in this season of your life, all of you made a decision to show up here on a Friday night instead of, being potentially at a party, being at your home, just chilling, relaxing, taking a nap, watching Netflix, or just hanging out with some people, or going to in and out You had to make a decision to say, I want to be in a space where I can learn about the kingdom of God, where I can meet other people that love Jesus. You had to make a decision to align yourself, literally even just by being here. You made a conscious decision about faith. Daniel and his friends didn't make a decision to not defile themselves by the time they arrived in Babylon. You have to understand that. The text here goes on to point out back in verse 4, they were young men with no physical defect, handsome, but they also showed aptitude of learning of every kind. They were well informed. They understood They had been making faith decisions before they ever got there. You think that you can stand in the midst of making one of the biggest decisions of your life for the very first time at just any kind of moment without having practiced that before you got there? 
Are you kidding me? Our faith is built up by small decisions, one after another, leading us into a space than when, when we get to a very big decision. We made a series of decisions that led us to this moment when it's like, bro, are you kidding me? Heck no, I'm not doing that. I'm out of here. Girl, what are you trying to do? I don't have any alignment with that. I'm out of here. Listen, you kidding me? I don't want anything to do with that. I know who I am and what I believe. I'm standing on these principles. You see, every single one of us has to understand you will not be able to stand in some of the darkest and most difficult challenges if you have not stood up to the small pequeño challenges of your life. If you bend at every small challenge that faces you, do you actually think you're going to be able to stand when things get rough? Each one of us has to realize that every day you're called to make a decision. Will I be defiled by this? By this small, seemingly insignificant moment. This one time I'm at her dorm room or this one moment I'm in his car and we're like, you got the small thing that we can unwrap together? Like, ooh, uh, shoot, is this a bigger deal? Nah, it's not. Indulge this moment. And then you get to another space the next day and it's like, hey, listen, what do you think about trying this with me? I've never really done that before, but okay. And then you're brought to another space another day and it's like another decision. Sure, why not? Yeah. And then you're brought to another decision in another space. It seems like not that big of a deal, not that significant. Yeah, sure. Every single, the small spaces that we find ourselves in on every single day shape us into who we become. Daniel and his friends got to a point right here. Verse 8. I stopped right here, right in this verse, because there was something so significant for each one of you to understand. He didn't stand up in this moment. Just because this was his first time to stand up. He had been building and building and building and resolving. This is what I believe. This is what I understand life to be like. This is what I want for myself. This is what I think is good and right and true. I will not be defiled. Mm. Verse 8, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. He asked the chief officials for permission not to defile himself this way. It's interesting. It's, the text says he asked. Wouldn't it have been easier when this royal official is coming around? He's like, hey, listen, gents, we got some stuff for you to eat. Just eat up. Let's get going. You got a lot of training to do. And Daniel and his buddies would be like, deal, let's go. Why? They don't want to cause problems. They don't want to be the one that stands out. They don't want to be the, the pink wearing person in a sea of blue. Wow, you really are standing out. You do. They didn't want to be that one person that would pipe up that all of a sudden the attention comes on them. Or did they? And did they really care? 
Because that's the thing. They made a decision to choose to stand out for the good and righteous thing. How many of us would rather choose the path of compromise because we don't want to stand out in front of others? That's the hard thing. In these years as young adults, you are faced with the greatest decisions of your entire life. The sad thing is that many of our parents kind of let us make the decisions by ourselves. Some of our mentors back in high school, they're like, good luck. Some of the people around you, they just trying to do the best they can too and leading us astray. And here you are making the biggest decisions of your entire life. And a lot of times it feels like it would just be easier instead of wanting to stick out for a kingdom righteous cause, it's much easier to just say, Sure, why not? But they said no. They said, I'd rather stick out. I'd rather be the blue in the valley of the, the purple. I'd rather be the one that just makes their splash for something good than rather say that I'm going to stand up to nothing and fall. So what happens then? What happens when they stood up? Verse 9, now God caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. Wait a minute. When we stand up for what's right, God's with us? Oh, absolutely. The book of Hebrews tells us that we have such a gracious and good God that should we seek him out, he would provide a way out of every temptation that befalls us provides a way out for every temptation that befalls us. But man, I tell you, it is hard. It is very hard. But you see, the thing is, there was Daniel and his friends. Daniel and his friends. The first step we have to realize is that they were prepared for the battle they were about to face. But the second step is they didn't go into the battle alone. A lot of you are fighting in this life with the wrong friends. And you're literally fighting against the kingdom of God together and you don't even realize it. Daniel and his friends were prepared in the same direction. They flowed down the same valley. They understood that when we go down the same direction, when we do it alone, it's hard to get in the fight. It is hard. Because here, now all of a sudden, he had someone that could stand up with him, for him. Listen, I know what you believe, Alvin. I know what you believe, Caitlin. I understand your vision. I want to be here with you, Natalie. No, 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 leave him alone. He doesn't need that. I remember being back in college. It was my junior year. There, my buddy and I, roommates, love this guy. He had been waiting for this one girl. I told you this story, I think, a long time ago. I'm going to tell it again because I just thought it was just so important to illustrate this idea of why friends are that important. He had been waiting for this girl for so long, for over a year. He had been trying to win her affection back because he made some mistakes. He really didn't do the right things. And, and he just believed that God was going to bless that relationship again. For one reason or another, he just believed it. But there was this one night that all of a sudden, there's this one friend of ours. She just kept kind of coming around. And, and he found himself really enjoying his time with her. And, and all of a sudden, this one night, she just said, Hey, hey, you want to... You wanna Maybe go check out something else outside. Okay, sure. And so he starts going. 
And I see them starting to leave the, the cafeteria, and I'm like, hmm, wait a minute. What's going on here? I don't know why. I was a peeping Tom out the window. <laughs> and I start seeing them walking towards the parking lot. And I'm like, I know my buddy, he doesn't have a car. <laughs> we were poor. <laughs> so where's he going? Sure enough, I knew exactly where he was going. And I start wrestling in my head, man. Do I want to make an embarrassing situation of myself and him, man? And people are starting to watch me in the cafeteria. Bro, what's wrong with you? Uh, I got stuff to think about. And all of a sudden, now five, ten minutes walks by, and I'm like, man, they're probably really far and almost to that parking lot. And I just say, I got to go. And I book it. Literally, my sandals flying off, and I am running through the campus. I'm going to go find my buddy because I know this is not going to be good. And sure enough, there I see him opening the car door and about to get in. I'm like, hey, hey. They're like, Philip, what? Hey, you remember that one thing we got to go do? And he's like, what do we have to go do? That one thing? That one thing. And he looks over at her. He looks at himself, looks at the car. And I'm like, that one thing? And he's like, that one thing? Yeah. That, there's that thing we got to go do. I'm so sorry. And she's like, what? Where are you going? I got to go. And he leaves and I grab his shoulder. I'm like, what the heck were you thinking? He's like, I don't know. <laughs> but then he looked at me and he said, thank you. Thank you. How many of us need to be the friends of Daniel along the way? How many of us need to get up and go to help the people that are around us that God has placed us to be the friend with? Many of us instead like to take our friends into darker spaces because you know what the thing is? Sin is a very lonely, lonely person and they don't like being lonely. Sin likes friends. And if you're like me and you've enjoyed this world a lot in your life and you've indulged in the spaces of sin that you're not proud of, you know the times when instead of walking the journey alone, you said, I need someone to come along with me. But Daniel and his friends instead resolved to make a decision together. The second reality that we see here, this guide kind of showing us is, man, when friends align in a kingdom vision, they are more powerful. And they are able to make such statements. No. Wow. Daniel tells the king, the king's official there, verse 12, Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. My goodness, these Adventist ideologies. <laughs> then compare our appearance with that of the young men who ate the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with, with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the king's men who the young men who ate the royal food so the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead 
The third point, the third ideology that we need to grasp here is that when you stand up for the kingdom and people see your good works, they have nothing else they can do but praise your God in heaven and say, bro, tell me more. How is it that you're living this life, bro, you're finding peace in the midst of the storms that we're all going through together, but yet there's something different about you. The third thing is that God wants to use you as a testimony to a dying world. But it will cost you. It will cost you. I like how John Lennox, in his book, Against the Flow, the inspiration of Daniel in an age of relativism, says this. The story of Daniel and his friends is a clarion call to our generation to be courageous, not to lose our nerve and allow the public expression of our faith to be diluted and squeezed out of the public space and thus rendered spineless and ineffective. Their story will also tell us that this objective is not likely to be achieved without cost. Because when you step up to the plate for your faith, it hurts, it's painful, and it's hard. But you see here, the story continues. Verse 17, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters of the whole kingdom. And Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. You see, the thing is, God will keep you in places as long as you're willing to be faithful in those spots. Some of you wonder, man, why am I not where I need to be? Why am I, why this, why that? And if you look back at your life, I'm not saying this 100% of the time, but a lot of the time, it's because we go back to what I said in the beginning. A little compromise, little compromise, little compromise, little compromise, little compromise. Until then, we ask ourselves, God, how effective can I be being all the way over here? Not that effective. God's always looking for someone who's willing to be faithful in an age that does not want him. And it doesn't mean, though, that he doesn't want us. In these spaces, when we've made all these compromises, you see the thing is, God is yearning for us, each one of us, to still get back to him and say, God, I'm done with this. I'm done with this way of life. I'm done making these compromises. I'm done. God, I want to stand for you again. I want to find myself being faithful in this age. God, I want to still be used for the kingdom. God, I still want a good life. Please, would you bless me? 1 John 1.9 stands out so big in this moment. 
If you would but confess your sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive. 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 We serve such a God that looks onto us who are weak and feebled, who can't do it on our own. He says, listen, I know you might not be proud of yourself, but I'm yearning for a generation of young adults who's willing to say, though we have made mistakes, God, we're ready to take the stand again. I don't know how you feel tonight here in this space, but I want to encourage you to recognize this is your moment and time to prepare. This is your time to stand in faithfulness with your friends around you. And this is the time to be willing to stand to the embarrassment of the world around you. And let your faithfulness show a life that is worthy. And a life that's worth following and imitating. So that others might be blessed around you. Daniel and his friends and this journey is one. I believe you are called to take too. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.